Alexa, what time is it? It's 6.27pm. Well, welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Um, at the moment, Ian is suffering some technical difficulties, so he's running a bit late in trying to join us. He might actually only be able to join the show as audio. There's some sort of update in Zoom. So at the moment, it's just my voice. I try not to make you go to sleep. But welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast, and I'm Simon Sandspring. Okay, so um, I'm hoping that Ian can manage to dial in um, and um, and join us, even if it is just by audio. So apologies um, with the um, with the slightly unplanned nature of our um, of our day. Oh, hang on! It looks like he's joining the he's joining now. Have we got you, Ian? Is that Ian? Hopefully. Hopefully that's Ian. If not, we might have our very our very first Zoom meeting bomb. Um, I don't know if you can hear. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Just about. The line is awful. Is it? Okay. Um, well, that's a bit um, um, a bit rubbish. Um, so. Um, I'm glad you could at least try to struggle away, Ian. Hopefully, we'll try to muscle our way through with as it is, Ian. So, sorry, dear listeners, about the um, about the technical issues there. Um, Ian, Ian is only joining us from uh, with audio. Um, so, unfortunately, at the moment, until our guests join us in a second, you just get my ugly mug at the minute if I take the the um, the pre-start screen share off. Um, so, who have we got on today, Ian? So today uh, we have got Richard Stride from the Groundlings Theatre and we have got Jeff. It's been a very long day. Has a second name which I can't remember. Priestley. Apologies, Jeff, from the Wedgwood Rooms. Yeah, excellent. So, um, yes, so indeed we've got, um, we've got a, a couple. So you might notice that we don't have any politicians on today, which is... You might consider that weird for a show that's called the Pompey Politics Podcast. But we wanted to talk about um, what's happening in the arts and culture sector in the city. Um, they're being hit quite hard about um, what's happening with uh, with COVID um, and how that's actually impacting them. So it'd be really, uh, really interesting to hear what they've got to say about the challenges that they're facing um, and how they're dealing with those. So um, that will be a, um, a good thing to hear from them. Um, aside from today's technical difficulties, how's your week been, Ian? Sorry, Simon, I'm really struggling to hear you. Um, aside from the technical issues today, how's your, how's your week going? Well, it's been a funny old one, really. It's another one of those ones where you get the, the four-day week and you think to yourself, well, this is going to be a this is going to be a nice relaxed arrangement, but it was a it, it was a busy old one work wise. So uh, yeah, no, I was uh, I was reasonably happy with my lot. I think Tuesday was a long day, and uh, but by the end of the week, I think the weather makes all the difference, doesn't it? Is that you know being able at least to sit out in your garden or to take your dog for a stroll in the sun, it is is so much better than if it was 
if it was dismal and cold, wet and damp. So I kind of, I, I'm I'm good with it. But uh, yeah, no, all, all pretty reasonable. What about yourself, Simon? Um, well, I've had a bit of a chaotic week. Um, one of my cats, um, blessing midnight, uh, decided to make his way out of my uh, for one of my um, bedroom windows, so at the first floor. Um, so I'm, I'm in a masonette. So um, and um, he managed to then make his way into one of my downstairs neighbours' um, bedrooms through their window. Um, so a panicking uh, evening on Thursday. Um, bless them for they did a you know they were great um, um, getting hold of me and stupidly I didn't realise at first that he was he was um, missing in action. Um, but they um, they looked after him and so then I recovered him that evening from uh, from them and um, and um, took him to the vets um, and um, thankfully it's um, he, he's um, his back legs he's done some soft tissue damage but he's he's on the mend he's walking out a bit walking around a bit more now um, but yeah that was a that was a um, a scary bit um, so um, sorry if I get all kind of um, emotional but um yeah you know my my cats bless them they're um um you know they're they're my fur my fur babies i think is the thing that people say um and part yeah, of my family so um it was um it was a it was a frightening day friday uh friday morning going to the vets but the um the vets at um harbour vets in uh, in london road fantastic guys fantastic arrangement they've got sorted out to um to keep the social distancing um, and keep everybody safe for COVID while they um, while they look after um, any poorly animals. So um, you know, all, all credit to them for um, for giving a um, giving him a look over and making sure he's okay. But uh, yeah, bless him. He's a bit sore, but he's but he's on the mend. Um, so um, I think me just crying in the street about a cat was um, <laughs> was um, yeah. No, well, it's it's um. I mean, the good news is on the mend. Mm -hmm. Do we have to add him to the? long list of celebrities that are breaking the uh breaking the lockdown rules um i do i'm i might have missed this one what i don't who who's who's um who's in the naughty list now oh i think we've uh there was a, a labor mp today as uh has had to resign their position on the labor front bench for um being caught out so uh, i don't think they jumped out of a first floor window but um yeah it's uh it's another salacious story of of not following the rules. Um, yes, well, they do, of course, apply to everybody. Um, and at the end of the day, it's only by all of us following those um, following those rules together that we're gonna, you know, that we're gonna continue to to keep the spread of the virus down, aren't we? Um, and to stop that, I'm trying desperately not to kind of squeeze into a a, um, a conversation about. Um, that man, Dominic, bless him, and his little sojourn to Barnard Castle, um, because we've got our guests waiting in the waiting room, and I and I um, <laughs> and I don't want to, and I don't want to leave him um, stranded there while we um, while we go through the intricacies of that. So forgive us, dear listeners, if we steer away from Dominic for a bit. Yeah, let's wheel our guests in. Yeah, let's um, let's see um, let's see how how the art world is going, and ask whether um. Whether Portsmouth is whether well whether Portsmouth's artists and culture venues are suffering for their art, so um, I'm admitting them in now, and then hopefully that means that you won't just have to look at my face. Hello, Richard, and Jeff seems to be right behind you. Richard, for some reason you're on your you're you're on your side. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so are you. I'm not sure why. Um, um, that's strange. Let me get a technical person. One second. <laughs> okay, no problem. While you while you do that, um, um, I'll welcome Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Jeff. So Can this you hear is us? why you need to have a younger person in the house with you. Well, who knows um... what they're doing? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so Jeff, can you hear us at all? Yes, good no, evening. You're not on your side. Hello, Jeff. Welcome. Um, we, Hi. We are, um, thank you very much for joining us. Sorry, Richard and uh, sorry, is it is it Dan? I'm just trying to sort out there um, why they're actually rotating yeah, Dan, through yeah. 90 degrees. Yeah. So well done, guys. Thank you. Um, we're having a bit of a technical <coughs> a technical evening. Ian is only joining us by audio because he couldn't manage to get um, get through Zoom's update. Um, and it wasn't playing nicely um, for him. So um, thank you for putting up with all of that and joining us. Um, so um, Jeff, your your um, what what's your link with the Wedgwood rooms? And, and no, I won't go that way. <laughs> Do we find better boys? <laughs> yeah, that's better. Yeah. You have to hold it. Do you know what? I so nearly grabbed a bottle well, of wine before we started this to think that that would be it, but I thought maybe not. But I'm I'm regretting that decision at this point. So um, while the while the boys try and sort out their technical issues um, in their end, uh, Jeff, how's 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 life with the Wedgwood Rooms? What's your involvement? Um, and how are how are things? What's what's life like for the for the Wedgwood Rooms at the moment? So uh, I'm general manager of the Wedgwood Rooms. Mm -hmm. um, What's life like? Very quiet and very dark. Um, obviously, uh, we've had to uh, close since the advent of uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think the last show we did was uh, Comedy Club on the 13th of March. Um, since then, uh, life's been a little strange, a little hectic. Yeah. <clears throat> and have you, um, have you had any, I mean, Obviously, with you being closed, how's that? How's that hitting you? Is that? Um... Um, well, like I say, we we closed on the thirtieth of March. At, at that point, as with most things, uh, our income stopped literally overnight. Um, we had some shows uh, in for the following week, but we decided, given that uh, the PM had told everybody uh, not to go out, that we should be preemptive and uh, cancel all the shows that we had so we cancelled well we officially closed the wedge down on the i think it was the 21st of march uh and cancelled made a decision to cancel or reschedule all the shows to the end of june which was uh, nearly 100 different shows so uh, life was a little hectic for a while uh, reorganizing thing uh, I think it took us about two weeks to do all that. Obviously, there's a lot of people involved in doing that. Uh, and we moved all those shows, or most of the shows, into the autumn. Okay, so you're, you're hoping that um, things will be recovered <coughs> enough to allow you to, to reopen in, in the autumn? Uh, at that point, when we moved them, mm -hmm. that was what we were hoping. Uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, this has been a very steep learning curve and everything's been moving very quickly. Uh, and I suspect that uh, given the constraints, uh, given social distancing and given the fact that um, 
that life hasn't got back to normal and probably won't do for a little while, that uh, we will be moving most of those shows into 2021. That's not to say we won't be open in 2020, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm currently wading through an 80-page document uh, on protocols for opening small live music venues. Um, so we'll see where we go with that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, well, an 80-page document from the government sounds like a not really much fun in anybody's book. Um, uh, it's not from the government, to be oh, fair. It's oh, from it's not? the Music Venues Trust. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, it's it's a suggestion of protocols that um, we're currently uh, working our way through to see whether we can make them work, those, those work. Right. Okay. So at least there's some sort of kind of assistance from um, you know from your from the music venues trust. Yeah, the music venues trust is a charitable organisation, but um, it represents 790 small independent music venues around the, around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has been our voice at the table while all this has been happening. Okay, that's um, <coughs> good to hear that at least through those difficult times you've got a voice. I'm going to yes. try and um, welcome in um, welcome in Richard at this point, um, who is at least the right way round. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have lost Ian at this point, so um, so we're doing well so far. Um, so thank you. <laughs> so Richard. Um, nice to yes. be welcome and thank you for joining us. Pleasure. <laughs> Glad you managed to get your um, your technical expert to to help you sort out the the orientation of your screen. Um, yeah, I'm I was not sure I've ever kind of really been the right way round, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we That's go. a whole other thing, isn't it? So uh, how um, yeah. how how's your how's your view? What's got kind of so you're um, you're involved with um, with the Groundlings Theatre in um, just yeah. in Gunwharf, and how's I think it, it's very much similar to what Jeff was saying, actually. Um, and um, uh, the complications are, is how do you get um, audiences, first of all, want to come back? Because uh, recent research said that actually only 19% of um, audiences would actually come back uh, if theatres were open right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that will probably increase. That will probably get uh, much better. Um, but it's how you get that message across to your audience. You want to go and sit down and I'll place it. Sorry, just a slight disturbance. There was, um, Ian's coming right. in from a different device. So you're kind of having a... So, sorry, go on. So, yeah, it's, it's a similar sort of thing to what Jeff was saying is um, ploughing through. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of theatres at the moment are really trying to get to grips. Some of the trying to think outside the box. So I know there's a theatre up north that um, has lots of ground around it. So therefore is doing a lot of open air theatre mm-hmm. instead, um, which will be happening later in the year. Um, so um, grounding theatre is quite unique because it has round tables. So there's often a little bit of reduction anyway in the amount of audience. Um, so and being on a round table, they tend to be roughly about two metres apart, but certainly there'll be some tables taken out and um, uh, work in a different way. So it's finding and navigating around the problem as much as you can um, to try and make things work for you. But every venue is different, different size, different sort of entrance exits, and some venues will be able to, to do it and some won't be able to do it so much. Yeah, so you, you you've got you're, that's a good point to highlight with a, with a lot of the the um, the smaller venue. I mean, even some of the larger venues, you've got very particular 
um, <coughs> pressures of space and entrance and entrances and exits, haven't you, to to try yeah. and find a way to deal with? Message Simon. Left I mean, some some venues were looking at taking seats out. Um, I'm in the lobby. And the difficulty of taking seats out. Where do you store all these seats? Um, so even something as simple as that. Uh, Groundings is quite lucky because uh, we don't have fixed seating, but in lots of other venues they have fixed seating, and that's again another issue how they get around that sort of situation. Yeah, so some really particular stuff for um, for, for places to work out. So, um, Ian, I don't know if you can hear me, but you you're um, we have got you rejoined um, via an alternative device. So can you hear us? I can hear you. Brilliant. Are you able to hear me? We have you crystal clear. Oh, this is superb. There this we go. This has been the toughest performance we've ever had to put on. So my, my apologies, <laughs> gentlemen, for missing the first part well, we've, we've of the um, meeting. We are now. Um, Simon's sister and my wife has uh, has given up her iPad for the uh, duration of our uh, podcast. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> bless you. Um, well, we're, we're not doing we're not doing too badly. Bless them. Every, everyone's kind of hanging on in there. So I'm um, glad you managed to get that sorted. Um, so um, yeah. So I, I guess the the question would be is you know from a calendar perspective, you're both having to um, having to delay bookings um, and um, and having to think about how you can reopen with. Um, with social distancing on whatever the stipulations might be at a point that you're you're allowed to kind of reopen um how does kind of the the interruption to the you know to the income stream kind of affect uh, affect venues like yours if i can go to jeff first if that's all right if i can do that just to yes uh, the sudden stop is a bit a uh, bit over dramatic i think um what what is not probably fully understood is uh, small music venues and I suggest small theatres walk a very fine line normally as long as the cash is coming in and the ca uh, it can go back out again uh, you know, standard business stuff but uh, it tends to be like that with again I can only really speak for live music venues um, you stop the cash coming in but it doesn't automatically stop going out so no. for example the last gig we did was 13th of March um, but I still and therefore I've had no income since then apart from the government schemes mm -hmm. uh, but it did mean that I still had a full set of bills to pay for April full set of pay bills to pay for May and it's only in June that it's all quietened down I mean obviously spent a lot of time on the phone stopping things cancelling things doing things but um you you just have no income i mean and it's going to be the same at the other end because you have no income uh, there's a whole lot of stuff you're supposed to put in place to make yourself um socially viable and let people in is it covid secure but, they're calling it is but that again yeah. there's a uh, Sorry? Is it COVID secure? Is that the term that they use? That's to... the expression, yeah. Yeah. yes. Um, to make yourself COVID secure, thank you very much. Um, and you've got to find the money to do that as well. So um, it's 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 a juggling thing. I mean, we furloughed 22 staff. Um, so we, we're using the government furlough scheme, which obviously finishes at the end of October. And in theory... In theory, we could open from the 4th of July, providing we've got everything in place. But um, I think it's going to be a little later than that, because mm -hmm. unfortunately, we work on cycles as well. So having moved everything, um, 
we haven't actually got anything in the diary till early September. So even if we could meet all the criteria beginning of July, we we won't there's, we won't be opening because we have nothing to do until till September. Yeah. Well, I, I guess one of the one of the questions for me, Jeff, is is obviously, you know, I think we touched on it at the phone when we were talking about this podcast. You know, so, social distancing and an independent music venue like yours, kind of not natural bedfellows. You know, uh, again. No, in fact, I, in fact, I, our whole business model is based around cramming a lot of people into a small space, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> And I guess that's where I, I, I kind of asked the question, which is that if you've got to open and, and I'm going to use the word seriously respect social distancing, because I, I've got a personal problem with the whole, you know, once you start opening up, you know, entertainment venues with alcohol, the, the chances of, of being entirely respectful, I think, are pretty slim. You know, yes. can you seriously, you know, can you host a gig at the Wedgwood Rooms if you can only get I don't know, a half or a third of your capacity uh, in through the door. Rough calculations for, for our 400 capacity venue, and these are very rough, our capacity would be about 160. Now, we're not going to pretend that we're always full. And no. We have done gigs to that number of people, but long term, it's not... There were two things to look at. There's all the logistics of the COVID stuff, and uh, but also there's the economic viability of actually opening the doors. Yeah. Because because if you open at, at restricted capacity, you're not going to pay your bills. I mean, it's that it's that simple. Yeah, I, I think it's been it's been fairly clear over the last twenty years that that you don't run small independent music or entertainment venues for the money or the fame and i'm sure i'm sure richard <laughs> no. will, will, will tell a very similar story <laughs> so yeah um richard how about how about yourself from a in, you know how's it kind of hitting the hitting the venue from an income perspective um well literally the day that the government decided um i think it was six o'clock to turn around to the nation and say, don't go to theatres. Um, the first thing that was incredible was the fact that, you know, immediately um, uh, theatres and music venues had literally about an hour to suddenly, to work out how they would close their <laughs> venue, how they would send everyone, how they would do, and, and some venues carried on with that tonight's performance and got a lot of stick from the public. Um, and I think it was completely and utterly irresponsible of the government to do that in, you know, giving notice of an hour to venues to basically <coughs> close. Although they didn't say, they just basically said, don't go, which quite frankly is, you close. Um, so that's that's one big issue. And I think, as Jeff said, coming out the other end is just going to be so difficult. And there's only so much money. <coughs> and, you know, unless the government's going to come out and, again, support like they've done with the um, the grants, etc. Because loans are great, but you're still having to pay those loans off. You still have to find that money. And you're not going to you're not going to find extra money <coughs> the line. Um, and. Of course, then there's the other added issue is what happens if we get a second wave um, or a third wave even. So 
it seems to me that the whole thing has just been gone about the entirely the wrong way. And whereas if you look at like New Zealand, for instance, who now, um, I think yesterday had one confirmed co um, uh, case in the whole of New Zealand, they locked it down, short, sharp, shock, really strict, and now they're able to open up. And we just haven't done that at all. And it's, it's this virus is just gonna hit <coughs> and we're back to square one again. And then that's even more of a, a, a difficult situation of how then venues cope if we go through a second wave. So I guess I it's, think, sorry, I think that's some, something that the, you know, the, the, the potential for the second wave, um, I think people realize is there. Um, and unless you are able to eradicate the disease from your country as New Zealand have been able to do, and then effectively lock down the borders mm. almost entirely, then, then you know, we are going to have a level of this virus around until we get to that point of either mass vaccination or herd immunity. Uh, so I guess looking at your at your sort of customer base and, and you know, how, how, have your, how have your sort of traditional customers responded, um, you know, in terms of supporting your venue? I believe that's aimed at me. Um, yes, we... Um... Long story. Uh, like I said, we're involved with the Music Venues Trust uh, and they launched a Save Our Venues campaign. Uh, I think it's well known now that um, they suggested at the time that venues set up a crowdfunder. Now, I've be personally been very wary of crowdfunding, uh, but we set up a crowdfunder like we dutifully did. Uh, we promoted the Save Our Venues campaign and tagged our crowdfunder information on the end. Uh, and... Uh, called records i think uh we raised hit our crowdfunding target in 12 hours uh which was amazing and amazing and very supportive from the community don't get me wrong but also uh, it was also quite an emotional thing as well uh, yeah. whilst whilst it was nice that people were giving money to us when there are times when money was hard and there are other places they could send it the the supportive comments were were just incredible about about the wedge and how people felt about it, which was quite it's quite interesting. And I've said a couple of times, um, we actually had to stop reading the comments because it's all getting a little bit too emotional. I mean, most of my staff were just watching watching the money going up, but reading the comments. And I think by two o'clock in the afternoon, there wasn't one of us being able to read the comments because we were all quite moved by the whole thing. So it's fair to say that. There's a lot of community support. And without what that money allowed me to do was uh, will actually get me through another month of doing nothing. Not that I'm doing nothing, but if you know what I mean, of, of not having any income. But also it allowed me, we have um, several technical crew that are all self-employed, but, but also they've not been self-employed for that long. So it allowed me to give some money to them because they were falling through cracks of all the government support. Uh, so that was a good thing. That was a moving thing. It's nice to do that. Our crowdfunder is still sat there. Um, yes, but it, but it has been very helpful and, and took a lot of strain out of everybody's lives, I think is the, the way to do it, because it will buy us time. It buys us time to get things right when we do open. It buys us the time, not as we sit here at the moment, there is no pressure on me to open on July the 4th because I'm, I very much don't feel 
that we should open unless we do get it right and we cover all the bases. And I have a lot of bases to cover uh, because obviously I've got my staff, all, all various parts around the building. We've got, we work with various promoters. Then we have all the artists and performers that come in and all their crews. There are a whole load of things to tick. Uh, and what the crowdfunder has helped do is actually help me bought me time to actually put those things in place. So should people want to come out? And, and again, that's the question, isn't it? Um, as a straw poll of eight of my staff, and bear in mind that every single one of them loves going out to live music. If they're not at the wedge working or they're not at the wedge watching the gig, they're off at some other venue watching a gig. And of the eight of them, only one of them feels that they might want to go to a gig soon. All the rest are still very... And we're people that want to do live music. Mm. People out there that are just thinking about going to a concert are probably going to not want to, I suspect. But so um, whole question that's a long about... haul, isn't it? Rebuilding confidence. Yeah, so there's, there's, I guess there's several <clears throat> elements to it then, isn't there? There's the element of how do you actually technically do it? How do you um, manage financially while you do it? And actually the biggest question, which is the, the $64 million unknown, I guess, at the moment is, is there, is there actually a demand there for it at whatever at the form you, you, you're able to, to kind of open? It's, um, I, I picked up on the point you were saying about, because if, you know, if, if, uh, if a lot of people in, in you know, arts and culture are either single traders or self-employed <coughs> that quite possibly haven't been trading long enough to... Um, to benefit from some of the schemes that the government's actually got running, it, you know, is that is that a kind of a real danger for a lot of them falling through the cracks like that? That um... there's there's a lot. I mean, we've obviously got a lot of connections, a lot of people. Uh, in my particular case, I had three staff that fell through the cracks. Um, well, they're not three people that work at the range is a better description. Mm -hmm. um, but we know other people that have been freelance for only a couple of years, so. So yeah. some of them have. Most of them have managed to um, get universal credit. Uh, some of them, even though I believe there's a couple that, uh, even though they haven't quite done the full years, three years trading that they needed to do for the self-employed thing, have been able to get some some funding or some advice mm -hmm. to that. But I think that's just a uh, just a dates timing thing that may yeah. not happen. But yes, there are people that have fallen through cracks of things. But, you know, I mean, <clears throat> the, given the situation in terms of trying to get people, keep people financially fluid, I think the government said, OK, hmm. you know. OK, That's, um, I just wanted to bring Richard. In. <clears throat> um, so, Richard, how have you got what would what have you got? Um, what have you experienced and, sit and seen around those sorts of issues? Um, so we've got all our staff furloughed. Um, again, the same situation. We've got lots of freelancers that um, haven't uh, got money coming through. Um, I know of one particular girl that um, who's an actress who has completely and utterly fallen through every crack that you can imagine. Um, can't even get universal credit um, because unfortunately she was doing a job. She was um, actually ill, off sick. Um, and so she was getting sick pay and unfortunately the theatre company that employed her has now um, um, ceased the contract as well. So she's literally fallen through everything. Um, but um, yeah, it is, it, it is a small amount that have, 
have uh, have you know really really struggling um, on this side of things, and I think also that um, uh, for from our experience for for actors and um, those kind of people that the work has virtually all dried up completely. However, we're all now <laughs> discovering this new thing called Zoom. <laughs> Um, that normally and works better. <laughs> do things in a different way. Yeah. Um, so you know, myself um, as an actor as well, I've I've invested in in uh, like green screen behind me, my own little tiny studio, uh, so that I can start to do stuff and do auditions um, via Zoom, via Skype, and all the other things to try and work my way around it. That I don't have. Um, to, you know to go up to London and go on the tube etc so it's finding those opportunities and finding those things that um, if you can uh, use things to your advantage as well so there are some pluses and some a lot of minuses but there are a few pluses out there if you can try and find them I guess there's sorry Ingle sorry Simon no no you go uh, I guess that's it's an interesting uh, situation because you know one of the things with obviously all the all the big you know festivals cancelled and postponed you know there've been a, a a lot of a lot of sort of online um, you know online festivals in a day and 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 like you say people mm. are starting to 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 use um, you know use the media available to to put on entertainment. I guess the, 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 my thought there, though, is, is in the same style of, uh, uh, as the news, which is that there's never been more people accessing it online. The biggest challenge is that nobody seems to want to pay for it. Do, do you think there is a risk as, as people you know, start to, to look and expect more sort of online entertainment, that that, that willingness to, to chip in... Um, you know, almost as a voluntary act. I think yes, no is the answer. So um, the theatre put out a theatre tour, for instance, and then put a link to our um, uh, Just Giving page. And um, people have paid through that. Not everybody, clearly not everybody, but, you know, some people have put some money in. Um, it wouldn't be as much as if all those people turned up to a theatre tour but it's had like <laughs> a thousand views. Uh, if all those people actually originally would have turned up to a theatre tour anyway, we wouldn't have been able to put them even in normal terms in into a theatre tour. So um, it's widened the audience. Um, so again, I think there's some pluses and some minuses. Um, and there are opportunities to use it as a way of advertising. Um, or as we would call in the business, a lost leader. So it's something that doesn't make any money for now, but it can make money for later. Um, so um, I think if you look at it in those terms, it's a good thing to get your art out there. And I think one thing it has shown is that art, music, theatre, cinema, all those things are essential to our lives. We haven't been able to cope, we wouldn't be able to have coped very well if we hadn't had entertainment of some kind. We haven't had concerts, music gigs, all sorts of things going on um, on the internet that you've been able to look at. Can you imagine a, this virus hitting 30 years ago, say in the 80s, for instance, what a nightmare that would have been. Um, <laughs> and how difficult, much more difficult it would have been. 
So I think, you know, we hopefully the public and everybody else has, has generally realised what an essential part to our daily lives art culture is. Just imagine all the VHS tapes and cassette tapes we'd have worn out if it had happened in the 80s. <laughs> oh, <wouldn't it>? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I think my pictures will wind them back up again. <laughs> Um, we've got what? a couple of questions coming in from the chat room. I'll cu- I'll come to those in a, okay. in, a in a second, but um, I just wanted to um, flip over to to Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I agree with Richard. However, I think the obvious thing is uh, it's two things for me. Uh, it's the quality of what you're trying to give people on a TV screen. Uh, I think there's a there's an awful lot of of people that are. And making a good show of, of of presenting themselves on Facebook, etc. But I think to actually monetize that properly and for it to possibly replace going to a live event, then you have to provide a, a high level of quality. Now we're doing a thing. I think it's a week on Tuesday with Mark Thomas, the comedian. Uh, it's the first thing with a paywall we've ever done uh, and we get a bit of the ticket price but it, it is a full show with the Q&A uh, the show is already I believe recorded so the, the quality of the presentation the production is as high as it can be on the square screen uh, and we'll, we'll see how that goes uh, the only issue I have obviously but I'm biased is that live events live music live theatre in their in their most basic form, a tribal. They're, yep. they're, they're there so we can all get together and all have a shared experience. Uh, same as going to football, it's a shared experience. And I don't think that staring at a, a 52-inch TV screen looped up to my laptop is actually going to give me that same level of experience, no matter how many people I know are watching it. So long-term... I think people will come back because I think they'll miss the experience. Mm. Uh, short term, we owe it to people to give them a product of a good quality, not just bang, bang somebody's, no offence, Richard, iPhone with with its, you know, old iPhone with its poor speaker and, and giving people bad quality. It, 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 um, there's some interesting points, isn't there? Because like you say, like you're both kind of saying, it, it, although there are, technical you know there's there's ways to monetize that sort of content and ways to be quite creative about producing it in our own homes um but that doesn't help venues you know so there's possibly a way that artists can um can if they can you know if they can kind of break the monetization barrier of the you know like ian's saying the the bit where you can get beyond people actually being willing to hoover up all of that content for free but the moment you start asking them for a couple of pennies um, you know, they, they, their interest kind of declines a bit, but it's, it is an entirely different experience being there in person isn't it? And, and kind of seeing that. It's a different feeling sitting in a theatre because um, you do get a slightly different, perform- different performance every night and you get the ambience of the audience mm-hmm. and you get the your reaction of that. And likewise, with a, with a gig, you, you, get the, you get that warmth. Hey, last, and, you know, last time I was at the Wakefield Rooms, I'd, I was dialed back 28 years. It was 1992 and I was... I was watching the levellers in uh, in the Portsmouth Guildhall, and I have to say, 28 years on, and it's been a while since I've been to a live concert, 
wasn't moving especially well the next day. Did you strain yourself? sense of rhythm and, and ability to, 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 to move and shake it was, was diminished by the advancing years, I have to say. Yes, but, but you uh, can't replicate that with technology. No, no, not absolutely. Yet. And uh, yeah, nobody would pay to see me move the next day. You, you can't. You can't replicate the pain or the embarrassment. No, um, <laughs> so that's an interesting thing. So um, let me um, let me just um, have a look at. So with the technical things, I haven't been keeping an um, eagle eye on on all of the comments. I'm afraid. So sorry, um, people that have been contributing them. But we had um, we've got a we've got a comment from Steve Pitt, as I'm sure we're all we're all know, um, saying um, without a proper strategy from government. We're on course to lose a massive amount of um, <coughs> cultural assets. Warnings from Mary Rose Museum um, that they cannot go um, one past um, go on past summer. Um, loads of cultural buildings missing out on the retail, hospitality, and leisure grants because their rateable values are too high. Um, leisure providers all over this all over the country faced with insolvency. Museums generally in in trouble. Um, and if theatres can't deliver pantos this year, oh no, they can't. Um, sorry, hundreds of them um, are going to uh, going to fall over. So, um, yeah, there's some there's some interesting points there, and I'll pair that with some. Um, there was a question. Where did it go? There was a question from Phil, which um, so I'll ask you both in in turn to come back on kind of Steve's points and and this question. So the question from Phil was, uh, given where we are as a country, if you were Boris, what one thing would you do to benefit your industry right now? I think you're right. Starting with that idea, if theatres can't do pantomimes, which, uh, to give you an idea, pantomime uh, produces more money than the rest of the entire year put together. So panto gets you through pretty much January, February, March, April, May, June, if you're lucky, into July even. So to not have panto and not have that amount of income would be uh, catastrophic. So um, to put it bluntly, um, I do know that some theatres have already have basically have stopped their panto. They're going to be doing them in uh, around about Easter time. I'm not 100% convinced that audiences will want to go to a panto at Easter as opposed to at Christmas. Um, but we've already lost, um, you know, a number of theatres, um, and there are a lot that are on the on the the real edge of the cliff, um, including the National Theatre, the Globe Theatre, uh, the RSC. You know, three of the biggest theatres that we have, and they're struggling. So um, it. <laughs> It's it's going to yeah it could get very bad. It again it depends on what the government does in the future for support, um, and um, and I think that you know there will have to be another package if this carries on and we don't get rid of this virus by September October. Um, and I think that's the real situation. That um, unless again you can find a way around, you can be inventive and do something different. I think. Um, if you've got a venue that you can do that with, then that's a possibility. If you don't, and that's why I said at the beginning, every venue is completely different. So every venue has to look at their uh, ability to adapt in a different way. And that's the that's the difficulty. And some venues will not be able to adapt. 
and that's just the you yeah. know the problem that they face so some some real risks coming down the coming down the track then really considering where we may or may not be kind of at the, at the time of year that we'd normally be thinking about pantomimes, which is normally kind of January. Yeah, and I, th- like, you know? I think also if you do panto and you then add in social distancing and you're then yeah. going to say, well, most venues are looking at two thirds uh, less of audience. So they're only be running on 30% of their audience. Um, that isn't even in break even for most venues. Um, and so it, it then becomes not viable to even do. Yeah. There have been some, I was going to say quickly, there have been some developments I saw in another country where they actually had uh, perspex screens between each set of audience member. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, how practical that is. And also, does that stop the virus going from one row to the next? Maybe not. Um, so if someone sat behind you coughs, for instance, or breathes heavily um, or shouts out during a panto, that virus still is within two meters. There's no screen in front of you. There's just the screens on the sides. So, yeah. Yeah. Lots, of, lots of logistical and financial challenges there. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, so, Jeff, what were, what, were you, what were your thoughts on what Steve, had, Steve said and on um, Phil's question about if you were Boris, what would you do? Or what, what uh, would you do for your venue? Well, for your I mean, I, I've made it through this far without any help from any form. Oh, pre-COVID. I made it this far without any support or any any finance from central government, no arts funding, nothing. So I'm a bit wary of being supported in the arts. However, I do keep reading articles like the one I read this morning where a theatre in Germany uh, took some seats out, reduced its uh, capacity from 700 to 200, and everybody came in. It was a great show. Uh, what they failed to point out is that theatre in uh, Germany is subsidised by 65%. So they can afford to do things like that because they have a, have a government subsidy. I mean, in terms of music venues, I think France currently, the uh, subsidy for venues exactly like the wedge, 65% from national government. They're, uh, they're quite high, but I think the lowest in Europe is about 40%. So I think we have to address all those questions. And like I say, I'm not one for taking money from the public purse, but for culture to survive in, should we say, the medium term, not even the short term, and obviously the short term, then I think we need to find some sort of funding for venues like us and venues like Richard and even, I believe, things like the Kings and, and the New Theatre Royal, which, you know, they're going to say they're bigger, but Guildhall, um, they're bigger, but they face the same challenges. And, it, and it's finding that economic and logistical and balance, even if you can do shows. Yeah, it was actually leading me on to my next question, which is, you know, with in Portsmouth, we're, we're so fortunate to have that range of, of venues, you know, the Kings, the New Theatre Royal, the Guildhall, as well as the two that you guys look after. You know, is, is there any kind of cross-collaboration between the venues? Because obviously, you know, you, you've all postponed shows, you've all postponed, you know, and again, I don't know how much you... You, you work together historically to make sure that you're not all putting on major acts on, you know, Friday the 6th of July, <coughs> you know, and almost trying to 
cannibalize each other's audiences yeah i believe there's because they're of the similar size i believe there are links between the guild hall the kings and the new theater royal i mean i phone andy at the guild hall up for a chat every now and again just to see what he's up to and to bemoan the bemoan the loss of audiences but um i think Yes, I think I think there probably needs to be a little more cooperation within the city, which is never a bad thing. It, there's there's been phases. I mean, we all have our own niches, mm. and t- together we are stronger than the you know than the individuals. You know, but Portsmouth as a city, culturally, it's hard work. You know, you sometimes I think uh, the wedge exists despite whatever else is going on. So we uh, we put up a fight and hang in there. But yes, I think I think there's ways of working together. There always have been. I've always been a bit of a team player, and some part of the music venues alliance. Uh, but uh, like I say, medium term. No matter how much we work together, I can't see any of us getting by without some sort of support. And to your point, to your point, Richard, that needs to be grant funding, not here's a few quid to tide you over and we'll come and send the debt collectors in in 12 months time. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. It needs to be grant funding um, because you know, you're, you're still going to have the, all you're doing is shifting the problem further down the line. Um, And Jeff is absolutely right. There does need to be um, more funding of the arts uh, in general, right the way across the board. I mean, the Greeks had it right. They used to pay for everyone to go to the theatre. <laughs> that was the way they did it. If you went to the theatre, they'd buy a ticket for you. Um, and uh, you know that's how you know Greeks became such a an, an incredible, um, diverse and interesting place uh, to be. And um, art is 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 just so important. Uh, I was interesting to learn the other day that Churchill um, during um, the Second World War was asked to cut the funding to the arts. <coughs> And uh, he turned around and, and basically said, no, we're not cutting the funding to the arts, um, purely because if we cut the funding to the arts, what the hell are we fighting for? What's the point of it? Mm. <laughs> um, so, you know, what we think and express ourselves and, you know, whether that's through music, <laughs> literature, art, theatre, cinema, whatever it is, drawing, uh, fine art, that's the way that is is completely and utterly um embedded in our lives and that's what you know we all desire that in one way or another and so to take that away it is then well, what's the point of of what are you doing it for you know and a city that has lots of art and culture in is a city that tends to thrive um and we've seen that so many times over and over again so you know economically it's a good thing to do i mean it's um it's an interesting point to to pick up on that because um because you know to some to some narratives you know it's oh it, you know it's just it's just art or it's you know it's just culture but but when you when you kind of consider that you know um art culture leisure and tourism actually employs as many people in the city um about the same level of many number of people as the dockyard does i mean that's obviously mm-hmm. quite a drastic change compared to what the city was like 50 years ago um but it's i think um the arts sector mm-hmm. or the cultural sector is the biggest employer um, in the world. So more people are employed in culture and art and 
and I mean, obviously that takes in things like graphic design and all those kind of things and gaming as well, mm-hmm. but it is the biggest employer. And um, I th- uh, to give you an idea, more people go to the theater each year than go to football matches. Well, which that blew my mind because well, I couldn't believe that that was actually, but it I'm, is actually true. More I'm sure there'd be the lots of Pompey faithful that don't want to, that wouldn't, um, that wouldn't think that for for a second. It's, 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 a, it's a Richard as an actor. Is that you campaigning for footballers' wages? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you know, if we had a tenth of what they get, would be brilliant. Um, and I know some actors do get huge amounts of money. Um, um, but it is it is like you know naught point not 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 percent that do yeah. most actors don't get uh, very you know they get very very little money at all yeah. uh, for what they do yeah. um, and most most jobs are on minimum wage yeah um, so so, it, so it, and I'm sure that's the same with musicians as well yeah yes. so, the, so the so the interesting so the I guess <coughs> the worry then is you know talking about the you know the freelancers that you've both been talking about and you know if if they're in a situation where they have to you know they have to leave the industry they have to leave the sector and get get a different job um you know you've got all of those you've got all of those skills this you know the danger is those those skills kind of suddenly disappearing from from the industry and and actually how damaging that would be i think the problem is is Mm -hmm. that when um actors musicians or any kind of artist suddenly have to go and uh, earn money elsewhere in a full-time capacity particularly is there is very little time in their life to do what they would normally do so um you know a musician will practice every day and for hours on end uh, an actor would be constantly um as you know i'm doing at the moment is constantly looking for, for work um writing to casting directors doing videotapes doing classes training yourself even better doing exercises all those things um and it's strange even being in lockdown uh and i don't normally have all the things i would normally have to do suddenly i i think oh i haven't done the washing up yet even you know, I've run out of time each day because I'm having to do so many other things to try and get as much acting work as possible or, or do it, to get it hopefully in the future. Um, and once you once you then having to work full time, there's no room. And then you've got that horrible thing of how do I get the money to keep going, but also get the acting work or the music work or, you know, the gallery exhibition up or whatever it is you're doing and that's the difficulty is then getting back in um and so we could lose a lot of artists and a lot of really good creative people eventually mm. and that would be an you know that would be a crying shame that would be a like you say the impact on our on our culture and actually the yeah you know at this at this point i want some clever quote about how enriching artists to the world but i can't think of one but i'm sure <laughs> there is one well, yeah. well I, 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 think, I think you touch on a couple of interesting points because I think there is an element of, of you know, when, when, you, when you look at, um, you know, an evening out at the theatre or at a, a music gig, when, when you compare the price of that now to, you know, an evening out at the pub or, an, you know, going out for a meal, you know, it actually represents for your evening for your evening's entertainment remarkable value you know locally um mm-hmm. and, and when you start sort of you know weighing that up you think well there, there is an element of i think one of these things maybe what this does as 
has kind of shown us is that perhaps with our local, you know, our local entertainment venues, maybe, you know, as a city, we've treated them a little bit like Woolworths. We all say, uh, we all say how you know <coughs> deeply moved and encouraged we are by them. But yeah. then, when the question is, well, when was the last time you went there? Yeah, you have to look at your fingernails a bit and go. Oh, oh, oh. But it's the same with local. I mean, no, Groundings use it or not, lose it. Uh, Groundings has not raised theatre prices for twenty years. <coughs> Crikey, haven't gone up at all. Um, but everything else has gone up. Um, mm. And, um, you know, for the drama school, for instance, the actual price of joining and taking part in the drama school has gone down uh, by 30% in 20 years. So we've actually reduced price <coughs> rather than put them up. And, um, yeah, I mean, regional theatre, um, excluding London, of course, um, is very cheap um, for a night out. You know, it still is really cheap. Um, and... Um, yeah, it's still you know you're getting a lot of a lot for your your money basically. How, how's the inflation in the music in the music music industry? Well, I was just thinking our average ticket price twenty five years ago was five pounds. Our average ticket price now is about fifteen. So, uh, but so what's that? A, a three times increase in twenty five years. The problem we have is that bands um, fees. Have gone up ten times, so the amount of money we make from ticket prices, which are fixed by agents, uh, has reduced. So, as a venue, we survive uh, purely on our bar take. Almost, it's uh, it's a strange world in which we live. <coughs> and with with red red stripe on draft, I'm always happy to support that particular endeavour. I oh, thank you. At a reasonable price as well. Very, yeah. very, fair price. very fair price I indeed. I mean, you're right. It is a, it is a relatively cheap night out. But again, the market will only stand so much. Now, now we try very hard at the wedge to keep the building maintained uh, and up to standards and stuff. But we realise that um, sometimes we fight a losing battle. Um, so you sort of, I'm not the King's Theatre. I can't, you know, I don't have. Uh, the matching architecture and I don't I'm a big black box so actually there is only so much you can charge people to stand in there because they have to stand because oh boy we don't have seats uh, occasionally we do um, so there's only so much you can you can stand in your market will stand but it is a cost effective night out okay but on that um, we, we're coming up to the hour was there any um any final questions that you had, Ian? No, I'd, I'd like to thank you both very much for coming on, and and, and hopefully, you know, we will, we, you know, we can get through this without that second wave, and um, you know, the, 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 there'll be a there'll be a sort of late autumn and early winter where, you know, I've I've, I've got a couple of shows uh, booked at the wedge that I'm 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 waiting to come back around, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we can. We can get through and uh, and come out the other side of this, guys. Yeah, we'll do our best. I'll <laughs> <laughs> well, give it a go. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the all we can do. In, indeed, Ian, do you want to lead us to the sign off? So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. 
I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And our guests have been Jack Priestley and Richard Stride. And I've been Simon Sansbury. <laughs>